Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking here on another rainy day. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022, and we have a lot to discuss. New York City is known by many for having an especially robust campaign finance system with stringent limits on the maximum donations that individuals can give to candidates and a generous public matching funds program. That program is meant to give more power to regular everyday New Yorkers and not the wealthy elite. By many measures, it's been an apparent success over its three plus decades in encouraging underrepresented New Yorkers to run for elected office and in leveling the financial playing field so that candidates must win more on their ideas and appeal to voters and community connections than on financial advantage. The program is administered by the New York City Campaign Finance Board, an independent nonpartisan city entity that consists of five board members and a pretty large staff. The CFB was established in 1988 and has grown significantly since based on its expanding mandates from government and the expansion of the program it administers, which includes not only the campaign finance system itself, but the related debates program, the publication of a voter's guide and more. Amy LaPrest has been the executive director of the New York City Campaign Finance Board since 2006 and is retiring this month. She is my guest today to reflect on her tenure, the changes in growth in the city's campaign finance system over the last decade and a half when she's been at the helm and maybe beyond that, the accomplishments, the challenges, the debates, voter turnout, what's next for the system, some of the criticism that the CFB faces sometimes, and more. Among many other things, the city's campaign finance program matches smaller contributions from regular New Yorkers with public funds for candidates. The CFB has just published its post-election report for 2021, that immense city election cycle that was held just last year with all city offices on the ballot and many, many open positions due to term limits. That report discusses how the program has helped many first-time candidates compete and win and produce the diverse representative city government that's now in office. Over the course of the 2021 election, the report says, $126.9 million in public funds was paid to 308 candidates. That matched nearly $18.3 million in contributions from New Yorkers. This was more than three times the total amount paid in 2013, the previous open citywide election. And that is way up from the $4.5 million in public matching funds dispersed by the CFB in the first city election of its tenure back in 1989. According to the Campaign Finance Board, by increasing the value of small dollar contributions, the program reduces the possibility and the perception of corruption from large contributions and unlimited campaign spending. And it encourages New Yorkers from all walks of life to run for office, helping them have the financial resources to do so as long as they can show some initial support from donors. 
through its oversight, its enforcement, its audits, and so forth, the CFB holds candidates accountable for using public funds responsibly. The CFB publishes a great deal of information for the public. We're not going to go into all the numbers and details of everything here on this podcast, so you can look it all up on on their website. Uh, But there's a great deal of information about how the program works and about all the different candidates and campaigns running for office in New York City on its website. And it gives us journalists and many others in the public lots of opportunity to examine that information. That includes campaign spending and raising information, but also information on independent spenders, those independent expenditure committees often referred to as super PACs, uh, groups that support or oppose a candidate but are not allowed by law to coordinate with the candidate campaign. That all goes back to the Supreme Court's uh, 2010 Citizens United decision, which dropped a bit of a a bomb on Amy LaPresse's tenure at the New York City Campaign Finance Board, which again began in 2006 and ends this month. So I'm very pleased to bring Amy on now. Amy, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me, Ben. So I, I tried to cover a bit there, um, but my introduction notwithstanding, uh, how do you capture what the New York City Campaign Finance Board does and maybe a little bit about how sort of what it does has grown over your tenure of, of 16 years. Well, I mean, I think you did capture a good uh, a good uh, summary of what we do. Um, so one of the biggest things we do is we run the city's public matching funds program, which you described. Um, it provides $8 in public matching funds for small contributions from city residents. So what that means for candidates who meet the eligibility requirement is that a $10 contribution is worth $90 to them. Um, And so, you know, you stated what the goals are and that's, you know, basically that we want to reduce the corrupting influence of money in politics. And we also want to help New Yorkers seeking to run for office to do so without having access to big money or needing big money. Um, we also have a large voter engagement mandate to assist communities that are underrepresented in city elections. Um, we do this through our NYC Votes campaign um, that. NYC Votes Campaign produces the voter guide for each election. Um, We do televised debates for citywide offices, mayor, controller, public advocate. We do direct uh, engagement with the communities. So we do that in a number of different ways. We have the NYC Youth Ambassadors Program, which is a prime focus for our agency. And that is a group of young people who go out and help our ambassadors to help encourage young people who are always underrepresented in the voting population uh, understand why it's important to go out and vote. Um, And we also have partnerships in multiple neighborhoods and our areas of focus are uh, areas that have underrepresented in the voting population. So the South Bronx, Central Queens, South Brooklyn, and East Brooklyn. Um, We focus on accessibility. We're focusing on language access. We're focusing on access for people with a disability. And so we are, you know, we're out in the community encouraging people to vote, educating them about the candidates to our voter guide, and encouraging people to run for office by providing them with the resources that they need to actually run for office. The whole panoply of democracy in New York City. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And and how have you seen things change over your tenure? This is this is a, a pretty sweeping tenure, especially in terms of 
um, the major election cycles, you know, that we've had over the course of, of your time, uh, leading the campaign finance board in the city, uh, going back to, you know, the 2009 citywide elections and then, um, you know, and beyond, um, and the program has changed. There's been uh, charter updates. There's been lots of legislation passed through the city council uh, and gone into law that that's changed the program. Um, are there are there top changes that you note in terms of your tenure that have been updates to the system, challenges? Uh, you know, what stands out in terms of how things have shifted under your leadership? So, I mean, there are, you know, a lot of changes, you know, over the years. Um, one of the biggest changes occurred for the 2021 election, um, where the matching funds program was vastly expanded to increase uh, the matching rate to eight to one, to drastically lower contribution limits, and really focus uh, candidates' fundraising on small dollar contributors. So that's, you know, that was the intention of that. So that was, you know, a huge expansion of the program. Um, it was a huge success. I mean, we paid, as you mentioned, over $126 million in 2021. We paid 308 candidates. Um, both of those are records for my tenure in the whole uh, program. Um, you know, that that change in the matching rate, you know, started back in 2001 when the matching rate went from one to one to four to one. But uh, and it's been, you know, changing and increasing, um, you know, other changes, of course, in 2021 were we were responsible for educating uh, voters about the new ranked choice voting uh, yes. in primaries. So we had a, a large uh, education campaign about ranked choice voting. Uh, you know, there was the global pandemic, which everyone <laughs> experienced, not, not unique to us. Um, but also another big change I think you hit on in your introduction was uh, the independent expenditure mandate, which, you know, the disclosure of independent expenditures, which, you know, was, goes back to um, 2010 uh, charter a referendum. And, you know, another thing that changed over the 10 years, we now have, uh, can look into and limit the contributions from people who do business with the city of New York, um, which is, you know, we have probably the broadest definition of people who are, you know, so-called pay to play uh, restrictions uh, of anywhere in the country. And we have, you know, we limit those contributions from people uh, much more than regular contributors. You know, I cut that from my intro, but it is such an important part of this program in terms of trying to reduce the temptations for corruption, the appearance of corruption. I mean, these what what are often referred to as doing business limits are really quite significant. And as far as I'm concerned, just sort of among, if not the sort of highlight of this program in terms of its impact on sort of public, you know, the, the faith that the public can have in, in how candidates are operating. I mean, there's there's obviously no way to remove all influence and remove all, you know, ways in which uh, candidates for office might be influenced by, you know, wealthy elites and, and so forth. But in terms of just that, those restrictions, those very low restrictions on how much money people doing business with the city can give to candidates. I mean, that's a remarkable piece of this program. Don't you think? How do you, how do you put, how do you think about that in context of the bigger mission? 
I mean, I think that that is an important part. I mean, that and the independent expenditure disclosure, all the disclosure we do, and the you know the lower contribution limits, you know, supplemented by the the uh, low dollar matching you know funds, really makes uh, the program very successful in ensuring that the city of voters of the city of New York can know that the people who they elect are representing them and not some wealthy elite. Mm-hmm. So in terms of keeping with the sort of mission here, are, are there any pieces of the of the campaign finance board mission we haven't touched on? Any anything that sort of we haven't mentioned yet that is key to um, you know what you're tasked with executing and how you're sort of evaluating the success of the the program and and of the of the work you're leading. Uh, anything we haven't touched on yet in terms of the broad sort of mission and goals here? I know. I mean, I think we've hit. You know, I mean, again, it, it's important. You know, the disclosure both of the candidates' finances and the independent spenders, the matching funds, all of the work, great work that we do in engaging voters and educating voters, um, all of that work is really, you know, important to making our city, you know, one of the premier, you know, uh, uh, programs across the country. So let's say more about how we know if if all this is working (laughs) um, and meeting the goals. Uh, I, I said a little bit about how um, you know, we have this very diverse, very representative city government that I think, um, you know, in many ways sort of matches the the demographics of the city. And that's what you want in a demographic, you know, in a, in a representative democracy. Um, seemingly, the program has helped contribute to that because we have, you know, just to, to look at the city council as, as sort of the easiest example, because you have 51 people across the city council. You have a lot of people who come from various walks of life, lots of people who don't come from a lot of, you know, family wealth and, and, and uh, you know, those types of uh, careers that might bring in a lot of wealth. You have a, a very diverse city council, especially now, but have had in the past as well. Um, now you have a, a, the first female majority, obviously, which is, has been a, a huge shift. Um, and much more representative on a, on a gender scale. Um, but but how do we know that this program is working to do that? And how do we know that this program is just sort of successful generally in, um, you know, helping reduce the the influence of, of big money in elections, uh, helping level the playing field, helping produce this diverse city government that we have? Um, and and well, we'll get back to the money in a minute, but how, how about on those things? How do we know it's working? I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the numbers kind of say some of the, you know, tell some of the story. So, I mean, I think as you pointed out, you know, we really are helping people run for office. We paid 308 candidates. We paid out $126 million. Um, but we also had a record number of candidates running in 2021. We had a record number of contributions given by city residents. You know, all that adds up to, you know, more choices for on the ballots for city voters, which of course is one of the, you know, ways to measure success. Um we, uh, you know, we, as you mentioned, we just released the post election report. And so, you know, one of the things about meeting the goals is that it's reflected in that report is we paid out two thirds of the public matching funds that was paid in the primary <clears throat> went to people first time pay uh, first time runners. So as opposed to program veterans. So you know, that's incredibly important that, you know, we're getting a lot of new people running for office and two thirds of them received that the public matching funds, uh, two thirds of the public matching funds went to those new 
mm-hmm. uh, candidates. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, one of the things that shows how it's being successful is is how voters use the multiple choices that we had. They, you know, we have, a, you know, as you pointed out, a remarkably diverse city government, a majority female city council for the first time in our history. Um, we have, you know, a lot of communities that are represented in the city council for the very first time. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's major progress. And I think that's the way uh, you can be proud of the matching funds program and the part that it helps in making those strong candidates able to run for office. So, and, and so, so, so competition is generally, you know, more competition and more choice for voters is generally on its own seen, seen as an important good here. Yes. I mean, I think that that's good. And I mean, in the ranked choice voting allowed people to, you know, really make a lot of use of those multiple choices. You know, they could rank their voters rather than just having to do their choices of candidates rather than just having to choose one single candidate. Mm. So those combination really help give voters a lot of choice. All right. Is, um, you know, is there how, how does the how does the campaign finance board sort of um, evaluate um some some of this, you know, internally, I know there's a lot of sort of public discussion and there's hearings and there's city council hearings and there's, um, are there ways that you're sort of asking yourself and you're asking your staff, you know, about sort of thinking about this idea of we want to, we want to encourage lots of candidates to run, but we also want to make sure that, um, you know, it's people who are serious about running for office. You know, there's always these questions that come up for the campaign finance board about, you know, where, where are we, and I know this isn't just the board, this is obviously legislation that would also is part of legislation that would come through the city, but, you know, how are we sort of setting the thresholds in terms of who we're helping buoy to run for office and making sure that, you know, people are showing some, some semblance of viability, but we also want to make sure that that's at the right thresholds to then start releasing lots of public dollars to them. How do those sort of evaluations go? So as you know, as I as mentioned, there's, you know, we, we, after every election, we release a post-election report evaluating how the program worked in the previous election. And we just released that post-election report last week. And, um, you know, some of those questions are discussed, you know, about, and it's, Again, you know, one of the great things is that, you know, we a lot of first timers receive the public funds. That's part of the reason for the program to encourage people to run for office who otherwise wouldn't have access to the funds. But uh, it's hard to set those thresholds, you know, to know, you know, where the right amount is. And, you know, again, 2021 was sort of you know, such a massive change in, you know, the program and the pandemic and ranked choice voting, you know, it's like, we didn't, we think it's probably best to wait a couple of cycles to see, you know, again, 2023 and 2025 are smaller cycles, 2029 will again be an election that has a lot of open seats, um, you know, using those future elections to kind of evaluate are we, is it too much? Is it, you know, are we at the right place? I mean, we've, the thresholds have been relatively static um, over time. And so I think that, you know, it does seek to make sure that people show that they have, uh, you know, support. And so just to explain to your listeners, you know, the way the thresholds work is that they're, they're two parts. So depending on what office you're running for, there's a monetary portion, you have to raise a certain dollar amount of contributions. And depending on where you're running, you have to raise a certain number of contributions from people within your 
area. So like for city council, you have to raise 75 contributions of over of $10 or more from people within that city council district and $5,000 in matchable contributions, which are contributions up to $175 um, that can be from anywhere in the city, but they have to be from New York City residents. So that, you know, to show that demonstrate that you have both, you know, a kind of enough financial support to show that you're a, you know, a serious candidate and also support within your community. Mm. And, and along with those thresholds, there's the question of the, of the oversight and the auditing and, and the work that, you know, so many at the CFP do to, to both help uh, candidates enroll in the system and comply, uh, but then also sort of making sure that, uh, as I briefly mentioned in the introduction, you know, the pub- public money is being spent the way it's supposed to be. Um, th- this this goes a couple different ways. One, you know, for, in, in one sense, there's lots of people, I think, who are appreciative or, or maybe they don't even know about it. They would be uh, once they listen to this, but are, w- would be or are appreciative that the the staff and the CFB does very rigorous, you know, uh, campaign auditing and oversight. And then you get, you know, candidates and campaign uh, people who say it's a little too rigorous and a little too punitive, even if they believe in in close evaluations of how lots of public money and even even the private money is being spent, um, you know, that it's, that it's a little much. So talk, talk a little bit about balancing that rigorous oversight and not being overly punitive, especially, as you say, as you're trying to make sure that lots of first time candidates run and lots of people who don't come from a lot of resources, you know, who who obviously need to then hire staff and hire people who can, you know, comply with your system. Um, how, how does that balance go? Um so, I mean, I think that it is, you know, it's a, it's a difficult balance. I mean, again, it, we take, you know, the responsibility. I mean, it's, you know, it is a large amount of, of city money. And so we do, you know, make sure that it is uh, uh, paid out properly, that we're protecting the taxpayers' investment in this program um, and that we, that the money is spent appropriately. And so, you know, that is, you know, that is a balance. I mean, we do have a lot of resources for candidates to help them navigate the program. And we are always uh, working to improve those resources and improve our audit process to ensure that we're focusing on, you know, the most serious issues. Um, we have an entire staff of candidate services representatives who not only do training, which is now mandatory for campaigns, um, but also are available to answer questions and uh, at any time for campaigns that, you know, provide guidance documents and templates of uh, documents and a whole handbook for candidates so that you know, we do provide a lot of resources to assist the candidates to help them because it's, you know, it's, it's our goal to, what you know, I always say that it's our goal to have candidates be successful. We don't, we, it's not the goal to, you know, uh, have fine violations. But of course, again, you know, we, it is important to the public that we are making sure that, you know, when we're paying out the money and when people are spending the money, that it is, uh, that where there's appropriate oversight over that. Um, as you're as you're wrapping up your your tenure here, are there instances where the board was engaged with a candidate or a campaign that stick out for you? Are there sort of memories, good, bad, or otherwise, that are sort of specific 
episodes that really stick out in your mind, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, someone, someone that you're really able to help, uh, you know, access the system, um, or, or a scandal or somebody who, um, you know, was engaged in a years long process of, of appeals or anything like that. Are there specific episodes that stick out for you? I mean, there's lots of them, but <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share a couple of, you know, I'm going to focus on the positive. So I'm going to okay. share a couple of, uh, it, it's, 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 so, um, you know, Letitia James, who's now the state attorney general, you know, uh, she was my council woman when she was in the New York city council. And so I, you know, she, and she is a person who, you know, I'm not, she said this publicly, so I'm not revealing anything that she wouldn't say publicly, that she said that she would never have been able to run for office um, if it hadn't been for the public matching funds program um, coming from, you know, her background. And, you know, she not only, you know, won the city council seat, but became public advocate, you know, is now the first uh uh, African-American woman to be a city, hold citywide office, a statewide office. I mean, so, you know, incredible, you know, like it's, you know, that kind of that we are able to help people, you know, fulfill their potential in that way is, you know, really, really important. And again, you know, I also, you know, we've helped so many people who just are, you know, local people, you know, like I said, um, you know, I'm just, you know, a person who is a, uh, you know, just, the, you know, was on the PTA and, you know, someone says, I wanted to run for city council and, you know, they, they, you know, they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do this. Um, you know, on the other side, you know, um, I, I don't, Eric Ulrich, who was, um, you know, a city council member from Queens, he also, um, he was now in the, in the Adams administration, uh, is, you know, it's, you know, while he's a Republican and he said that, you know, he had no, connections to the, you know, big money and, you know, it's from a working class background and also said that he would, uh, you know, never have been able to run or be successful in elective office if it hadn't been for the program. So, I mean, those kind of success stories, you know, are really important. And, you know, even even the people who maybe don't have electoral success, but, you know, are successful in, you know, getting their message out, you know, to the voters to, you know, maybe the person who won, you know, the office. And I, I, I tell the story and people laugh at me, but, you know, I, I don't even remember the name of the candidate. So um, is that a candidate, you know, we were doing the audit and someone, they had bought supplies at a pet store and, you know, the auditors were like, that seems weird. And, you know, the candidate explained, oh, no, I bought t-shirts, you know, branded with my campaign logo, because I, you know, want more dog parks and more dog runs. And so that, you know, and I put, you know, gave them to my neighbors and they all were, and I'm like, okay, so that person didn't win elective office, but, you know, you certainly, the city council person knew that that's an important issue to a lot of people because, you know, you saw people with his dogs and the dog t-shirt. So it's getting, you know, getting, you know, it, it, even if you're not successful, your message, you know, that the fact that there are constituency in the community cares about particular issues can influence, you know, the a person who does get elected. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's come back to this post-election report that was recently released by the Campaign Finance Board for the 2021 elections, this massive election cycle in the city. Uh, as we discussed, uh, nearly $127 million uh, paid out um, in public funds to, to candidates. 
Any other big takeaways from that report that you haven't highlighted yet? Anything else you want to mention there um, in terms of anything you know it it showed about the program as you also got at this? This was now a further expanded program for this election cycle. So it was the first citywide election under some increased match and and different rules that were put into place. Again, I won't go into all the numbers here for people that they can easily be looked up, but um, any other big takeaways from that, that report? Well, I want to just go back to something we were talking about earlier about the doing business contribution limits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and again, I didn't have the figures right on my hand at that moment, but you know, just to show how successful those those limits are in reducing the influence of people who do business with the city. Um, in 2001, uh, there were uh, people who had business dealings with the city contributed nearly $12 million or 25% of all contributions. In 2013, after those rules, the those lower contribution limits were adopted, those people contributed just 1.3 million or 2% of all contributions. And it remains 2% in 2021. So again, you know, it's still, you know, that that uh, important change in the law and lowering the contribution limit for people who are doing business really is significant in reducing the appearance of corruption in the city elections. Um, another point, I mean, I already pointed out that, you know, the vast majority went to new candidates, um, shows that there's no advantage for veterans. Um, you know, one thing that uh, is not, you know, that our, that our research shows that's not so that's uh, that we have to do more looking into is that more of these first time pays come from whiter and wealthier neighborhood neighborhoods um, and more of the candidates who don't qualify for public financing um, come from neighborhoods in upper Manhattan or in less wealthy areas of the outer boroughs. Um, so it's not clear that we're meeting all of our goals of fully reducing the barriers for women and people of color um, who you know, are from a lower demographic, you know, lower uh, economic areas um, who, and who still face, you know, systemic obstacles when they want to run for office. Um, we need to do a lot more work on studying those demographic patterns um, about who takes advantage, who determine who takes advantage of the program and as candidates and as contributors and why that is. But again, we're, we're we are, we see that and we're we're going to do more study on that um, as the in the future. Um, we the other incredible thing that we saw in 2021, and maybe this is because of the pandemic, and um, and maybe uh, you know we helped spur it along. Is there's an incredible shift towards credit card contributions as being the predominant way that contributions are given. Um, 86% of all individual con contributions were made by credit card, which is a dramatic increase from 2013, uh, which where they were only 40% of. Uh, contributions. And one of the reasons for this is that uh, our, is our NYC Votes Contribute application, which is a platform that the CFB built for candidates for free and helps candidates not only collect contributions through the credit cards, but also helps them meet the eligibility requirements for those contributions. Um, nearly 94% of the candidates used our platform and more than one third of all contributions, not just all con credit card contributions, of all contributions altogether were given through that application. So um, it's a really unique 
service that we provide for candidates um, that is not provided by any other municipality. And, you know, when the pandemic hit and people couldn't do in-person fundraising, it really, really uh, helped candidates be able to continue uh, fundraising for their campaigns. Interesting. Uh, you're listening to Max Politics here. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm speaking with Amy Lopress, the executive director of the New York City Campaign Finance Board for a few more weeks. It's early October here, 2022. Uh, Amy's been the executive director of the Campaign Finance Board since 2006 and is retiring at the end of this month and is reflecting on, on her tenure and the campaign finance program and other aspects of the work of the Campaign Finance Board and its affiliates. Um, so a few more questions for you. Uh, to wrap up the discussion of the of the 2021 post-election report, in the recommendations section, it notes that typically this report has a bunch of recommendations about modifying the city system, but because there were a number of modifications made in recent years, you're sort of, as you got at uh, briefly in this conversation, the board is sort of taking a, a step back on that because um, there's a lot of new pieces that need to be continued, uh, continually evaluated. Um, you have a couple of recommendations for the state legislature, though, in there. Um, so just say a little bit in terms of of the vision for the the campaign finance board to sort of stand pat here for at least another election cycle or two on the city system and then uh briefly what those couple of recommendations are for the for the state well so we um again we are you know we are the 2021 election was not only unique in the you know just the uh number of changes to the public matching funds program but it also is was um you know, was there were a lot of changes. I mean, as I mentioned uh, earlier, the ranked choice voting was instituted for the first time, which you know kind of changes the dynamic and makes us wonder. You know, makes us think about how we have to, uh, um, you know, what what our recommendations could be in the future. And also, we have um, uh, also the pandemic. You know, kind of it's hard to really factor what the influence of the pandemic was in, you know, in the election. So those things, you know, really so unique that we wanted to kind of stand pat and investigate more. Um, so our two recommendations are, that are really recommendations to for the state legislature um, are to prohibit campaigns from receiving uh, money f- through cryptocurrency um, and it's because uh because contributions from cryptocurrency uh, produ- produ- you know, present a unnecessary risk um, to compliance in our program and our enforcement reckon- regulations because of the way that they're tracked and um, uh, to, you know, tracking who is actually making the contribution. And the other is uh, a recommendation uh, to eliminate foreign influence on ballot proposals. So now, obviously, foreign entities are not allowed to st- uh, give contributions to candidates, but uh, we are recommending that the state uh, change the election law to ban foreign entities from spending money on ballot proposals. Hmm. Um, 
speaking of the state, the state is stand is in the process of standing up its own new campaign finance system with public matching and, and a lot of things that were in part modeled on the city system. The the city system was uh, held up as a model in that in the process of creating the new campaign finance system law. Um, you know, for for many positive reasons, sometimes you know critiques of the city system. H- have you? And your staff been involved in helping the state stand that up? And and do you have any big sort of um, public words of of guidance or warning for them as as they're getting that going after this election cycle? Well, we have. I mean, and so you know, they, I mean, they're getting ready, and they, you know, they they're really doing you know. They have a lot of work. I mean, a it's lot a, a lot. Work, I mean, because yes. there's a lot of a, a lot of elections that they are covering. A lot of, uh, you know. Uh, candidates that they'll see. Um, but yes, we did do a lot. We did help them a lot, you know, with, uh, you know, helping talking about the auditing process, talking about our disclosure system, talking about um, just the, you know, the administration of our program. So yes, we have been working with them. Mm-hmm. And any, any sort of big pieces of advice for them as they get this going or, or warnings or, or words of caution for the public or <laughs> anything like that as, as I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think we'll wait and see. I mean, it's, a, it, you know, the program, you know, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, what's interesting is when I when I started in 2006, you know, like there were not a lot of people talking about, you know, our matching funds program. I mean, people in New York, like, you know, talked about it and in candidates were happy with it, but there weren't really any people talking about copying it. And, you know, and that is one, you know, big change over the time is that, you know, Citizens United, you know, caused a you know, flood in money. And so, you know, since then, you know, we, a lot, lot of governments are talking about not mirroring our program and the New York state program is, uh, you know, one of them. And so I, and I wish them well, I think that the, it will hopefully serve the state, the citizens of, you know, the state voters, as well as it serve the city uh, voters, uh, the public matching funds mm-hmm. program. Coming back in our final few minutes here to a couple of questions back in the city, uh, that implementation of ranked choice voting, um, how are you reflecting on on how it went last year from your perspective? The campaign finance board, as you said, was tasked with the voter education on it. There were other entities doing that as well, but you were tasked by by law to do that. Um how did it go? And, you know, any sort of uh, thoughts on the next, you know, election cycle that'll be happening next year in 2023 with all the city council on the ballot again um, after redistricting? Uh, any thoughts on how ranked choice voting went the first time around here in the city and, and what to watch for in the next iteration? Um, I think it went really well. And so, I mean, I, you know, I commend, you know, people who are really interested in learning a lot about how it went um our every year we produce a, a voter analysis report in the spring and so the one that we put uh produced in april uh does a deep dive in, into how ranked choice voting was received in new york city but i'll just give a few i mean i think that about over 80 percent of people ranked at least one uh candidate used ranked choice voting in at least one of their uh choices in the 2021 primaries. And so, I mean, that's really kind of impressive. It shows that people understood what to do. You know, you can't necessarily draw conclusions when, when someone just chooses one candidate because that they're certainly 
allowed to choose just a single candidate, but 85% of uh, voters actually ranked at least one in one, use ranked choice voting in at least one race on the ballot. And so that's, you know, a good measure of success. There were, you know, some areas that had higher uh, overvoting, so like, you know, ranked two people as number one. Um, and so those uh, we are going to do some more education uh, focus in the areas that had high incidences of overvoting. Um, and those coincidentally uh, align with the areas that we were, some of the areas that we were already focusing on because of lower participation. So um, we will be doing some additional ranked choice voting education in those areas to make sure that people understand how to rank them. Um You've, as I said, run the citywide debates program. Uh, anything on on those debates that you'd love to see, you know, happen next time around? Any any change that's something you know that you sort of uh, are, have reflected on coming out of running these programs that you think would be uh, great for for voters or ways that the debates are are run, the number of debates, uh, how candidates are. Um, you know, evaluated for for entry into those the thresholds for you know participation or or anything else that I'm not mentioning um, on the debates that would help improve the debate program. Well, you know, so I think that one thing that we are looking towards and we are thinking about and you know, that would be is to uh, change the, the relationship with our community partners. So you know, again, the the debates are are broadcast on on you know on television usually by major broadcasters and um so what we are thinking about is you know working more with community partners to ensure that out in the community people are watching those debates and getting from the debates what the, their communities need so again you know again focusing on you know underrepresented voters you know working with community groups that work with those kind of uh voters those kind of communities and ensuring that the debates are meeting the needs of those communities um the debates are always exciting there's always um you know every year there's a tinkering with the the formula for uh you know how to uh, qualify for the debates. Um, this year presented, a, you know, big challenge, not only with, you know, pandemic restrictions, but also with the, you know, large number of mayoral candidates. So that was, uh, I don't yeah. know, fun is the right word for it, but <laughs> a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but, you know, again, I think that, you know, the debates are, you know, it's the only place where, uh, you know, debates are really important because they're the only place where you can see all the candidates all together, you know, and compare them, you know, all on one stage at one time. And so, you know, it really helps, you know, really see the candidates, you know, and every other place you hear them one on one. And, you know, the debates are really an important part of the process because yeah. of that. I, I, you know, I think coming out of this election, there were there are things, as you said, are, that are always being, you know, considered and there's lots of evaluation going on at the board uh, constantly and after each election cycle. And I do think that, you know, you hear those, um, you know, those questions about uh, candidate viability for the matching fund program, this record amount of public money being paid out, uh, nearly $127 million, seen by many as, you know, a positive. There's lots of candidates running and encouraging the low dollar donations and so forth. And then, you know, a lot of questions about exactly where those lines are that we, you know, got at earlier. And I think, you know, some similar threshold questions about the debates, especially as you 
have this really interesting democratic field that we just had uh, in this last cycle. And the question of, okay, you get, let's say, eight candidates who meet the thresholds. How do you then have one or two debates with all those candidates, but then get to the, you know, the leading candidates debate or debates where you start to narrow the field down? And, and there's lots of questions around that about how that should happen and whether and the role of polling and the role of fundraising and, and financial viability and all that. There's a lot of interesting questions there. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on sort of that that process of the, you know, the leading candidate debates and how that goes. I mean, it, it's um, I mean, that is, you know, uh, we. um you know, setting those thresholds for the debate is, you know, really one of the most difficult things. And, you know, and because of, as we're a government agency, it's like we have to, you know, set those thresholds as objective nonpartisan standards. So, you know, thinking about, you know, when there's like, you know, in this, especially in 2021, where there was like a wide open race with a new system, with the new ranked choice voting and with a field that was opened up significantly, it was, you know, it was hard to set those thresholds. And obviously you have to set them well in advance. I mean, you can't like, you know, it's like, the, you know, things, you know, you've set the, the, uh, you know, the qualifications, you know, before you necessarily right. know what's going to happen. Right, right. No, absolutely. And I, and I know I'm asking you a lot of these questions. Yeah. And as much as you've been, you've been leading so much of what the campaign yeah. finance board does as executive director, you don't, you know, you don't make these policies and you don't, you know, you have a lot of input on them and you get to lead a lot of the evaluation of what's gone on and produce reports and so forth. But there's obviously the board members yeah. and then there's the city council and the mayor making laws and, and adjustments and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, we spend um, a lot of time thinking about these qualifications yeah. for the debates because it's, it is, it's a challenge. And, you know, again, it's like, um, you know, we, we we spend a lot of time thinking about what is the right, what are the right lines to draw. All right. So in closing here, um, what's next at the CFB? You you are um, uh, your replacement has been announced. You're handing off the baton at the end of the month here in October 2022. Um, you know what what's sort of ahead for this organization that you've led for 16 years. Well, you know, so the new executive director is uh, Beth Rotman. Um, you know, she's, I think she's a great pick. She's the currently the national director of money and politics and ethics program for common cause. Um, she's an alumna of the campaign finance board. She worked as a lawyer in, in 20, um, uh, 2003 to 2006. Um, uh you know, again, what's next is, you know, again, we're, you know, we want to, you know, really one of the big things we're thinking about and one of the big things that I'm hoping that Beth will be able to accomplish is to bridge the work that our agency does um, on voter access and participation with the matching funds program. So, you know, we'd like to help the public under connect our NYC votes campaign with helping candidates to run for office and using matching funds. Um, you know, it's not not as many New Yorkers as we'd like know about the campaign finance board and know about our public financing work. Um, we'd like to have more New Yorkers know or recognize our New York NYC votes campaign. Um, they've seen the ads, they've read the voter guide, they've watched the debates. You know, we want to make sure that they connect all of that voter participation with all the work that we do. And, you know, that connects to a goal that we've had for a long time is to get more New Yorkers involved as contributors. And that, you know, really it's like we've made great progress bringing candidates in, you know, what we really want to move is getting more city residents involved in city elections as contributors. Mm -hmm. 
Speaking of one other thing I wanted to ask you, if you have one cook, one sort of outgoing thought on increasing voter participation in, in elections, voter turnout, obviously a, a chronic challenge in New York City that the Campaign Finance Board and NYC Votes has been tasked with um, addressing uh, and the ranked choice voting education and other pieces are all, you know, part of this, you know, voter outreach, voter education any, um, you know, any sort of parting thought on on increasing voter participation in New York City? Is there a is there a, a key reform that you think should really be at the top of the discussion? Is there anything, um, you know, that you want to sort of flag for New Yorkers who are thinking about this issue? Um, you know, so we've, you know, we made some in that voter analysis report, we made some recommendations about making voting easier in New York. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, the ballot initiatives last year would have that didn't pass would have made, you know, uh, made it some progress in that, you know, changing the registration, you know, making it a little bit easier to vote. Um, you know, you know, it has been suggested that, you know, changing the dates of the election. So making you know, city elections, you know, more along the line of state and federal elections, you know, um, would, might help. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it is a part of it is, you know, most often when we do, you know, kind of our research into why people say they don't vote, it's one big thing that happens, it, it, they voters say is that they don't know enough about the candidates. And so really getting the education out about who's running, what's on the ballot, it's, you know, incredibly important. So that is what we're focusing on, you know, with our voter guide, with all of our NYC votes uh, uh, campaigns. Yeah, us too. I got the reason. <laughs> um, and, and, and lastly, what what what's next for you? Uh, what, what's uh, is it is it real retirement? Are you looking for your next uh, next thing after a break? What's uh, what's next for you? Well, yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I'm. Uh... I'm probably uh, I will I'm you know, looking forward to taking some time off <laughs> and um, but then looking for the next step. And so I'm not sure what that is at the moment. Um, you know, I will take some time to reflect on, you know, what um, I've done, you know, what we've accomplished. And, uh, you know, again, you know, th this is an important work and important in New York City, important in our country, you know, at, especially at this time, you know, it's uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, democracy is under threat. I mean, as the president said, you know, in his speech, I mean, that, you know, it, so it's, there's, a, you know, work to be done in mm -hmm. the country on making sure that everyone has the access to being able to vote, that, you know, is able to fully exercise that right and also that we you know have a, a fully functioning democracy it's you know what's made this country successful and great all these years and so really you know uh you know it's what i have spent my entire almost my entire career working and trying to make democracy better and so you know certainly uh you know as i reflect and hopefully you know be able to contribute some more in that front in the future Yes, well, I, I I was going to mention at some point and didn't sneak it in that you I, I said you've been executive director at the CFB since 2006, but you've had other uh, you you've been at the CFB before that you were there you left you came back um, yeah. so you've really I mean you've been in and around this work as you said um, uh, for for decades now so um, uh, and again uh, everyone listening can can look up more information on the CFB website and the post election report and. Uh, and about Amy LaPress' career and, and all the changes and all that. Um, Amy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for all your public service and, and best of luck in the future. Thank you very much, Ben.